0: Hey, welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We're your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. And today
1: we are super lucky to be joined by three real life people out there who are gonna share their experiences with how they are perceived by the world. Okay, we've been talking a lot about things like implicit bias and microaggressions lately. And so we thought, I mean, we have a lot of Misasha, you and I have experienced that from the Asian side of things. Yes, definitely. I just thought it would be interesting to talk to some other real people out there about what their experiences are just sort of walking around, showing up in the world, looking the way they do and what the common sort of the most common misunderstandings people have about them are based on what they look like.
0: Right. I think we have been talking a lot about how the narrative in our country, in our society, and the groups that we're in is often a singular narrative. And to hear different people's experiences and hear their narratives is really important for learning and growth and understanding overall.
1: Yeah. And so today we got to interview three people. We got to talk to, I don't know, we shouldn't even describe them because you'll hear about them as we go through the (laughs) interviews. But just a couple of snippets, you know, sort of five, 10 minutes here and there talking to each of them about their experiences. And I'm curious what our listeners think.
0: Yeah, I love that they have such distinct experiences, but there are commonalities that run through all three of their discussions. And these conversations were so fun, too. Totally. And so so eye opening as well. I learned things that I had never known. Oh, same
1: here. I'm excited to have everybody listen. And then we'll come back at the end and talk about what we both learned from these conversations. Yes, let's listen. I am very excited to be here with you. Thank you for sharing this time with me. I am interviewing now or bringing to you right now a woman named Brittany Schultz. I'd like you to stop listeners and bring to mind who you think I'm speaking with. And so, Brittany, I do have a question for you. Yes. Um, What is one of the most common misunderstandings people have about you when they meet you?
2: Probably when they look at me, they're very surprised and want to know if I'm American or not. That's one of the biggest things. I get a lot of, oh, are you from another country speaking really slowly at me? Or sometimes I'll even get, you should go back to your own country
1: because I have a scarf on my head. Like you can see me right now, but my jaw just dropped. <laughs> people really say that to you?
2: Yes. I think honestly, either I've become more oblivious to it or things have gotten better. But I'm thinking when I first started wearing a scarf 10 years ago, things, people seem to be a lot more nervous around me, a lot, a lot more scared. And I saw a lot of hostility wherever I went. One time when I was at King Super, for instance, I was flipped off um, for no apparent reason other than the fact that I have a scarf on my head. And I think for a lot of people, when they speak with me over the phone, or, you know, maybe they speak with me via email in a professional setting, they're very taken aback when they see, oh my goodness, this woman wears a scarf? Like, what is she?
1: Is she Muslim? Yes, I am. Tell me about your decision to start wearing this scarf 10 years ago and what that represented if you don't mind. Yeah,
2: of course. So I converted to Islam from Christianity about 10 years ago, and I just felt for me that it was such a beautiful and personal decision I wanted to make. And it was special because it was just for me, and it didn't involve my family. It didn't involve what people typically think my husband forced me to wear it, my father forced me to wear it. I hear that a lot. And it was just for me, between me and God, my relationship with God, and I chose to cover. And a lot of Muslim women do cover, but there are a lot of Muslim women that don't. My sister-in-law doesn't cover and that doesn't make her any less of a Muslim. It's personal choice, but as Muslims, we do believe that God has asked us to cover and for many reasons, but for me, you know, it was just a beautiful personal choice and it was one of those things like, I knew that I was gonna really embrace Islam full on and full force if I was able to cover and just show people this is
1: who I am and it's become part of my identity. I have so many questions. Oh my gosh, that's (laughs) exciting. So I guess first of all, when you said there's so many different reasons, can you explain for someone who is not part of Islam, like I don't know, what does the headscarf symbolize?
2: Yeah, so hijab means a veil, a veil or a covering. And men are supposed to have a hijab too. Now, it looks different. For men, it's a beard. It's wearing modest clothing. You know, for women, the guidelines are a little bit different. So, for instance, you know me. I wear long sleeves all the time. I have a scarf on my head. But hijab is also in the way that you carry oneself. You know, not gossiping, not being, you know, too overly, you know, I guess, promiscuous with the way that you act or the way that you dress. But really, when I think of like the physical pieces or when I think of like why women wear the hijab, it's for a couple of reasons. One is we believe that in the Quran, God or Allah, our Arabic name for him asks us to cover. And that is our way of showing that we're Muslim, and it's also our way of showing that we're following God's commandments. And then two, it also is a way for us to be seen as kind of differing believers. So a lot of times when you see someone walking down the street, you might not know if they're a Christian, or you might not know if they're Buddhist. Maybe there are different things that show that they are, but I know for me, when I see a woman wearing a scarf, I think, okay, maybe she's an Orthodox Jew or most likely she's Muslim. And then I have a little, you know, saying that I say with her that I might find out, you know, to see if she is Muslim or not. But it's definitely an outward piece or article of clothing that helps us be able to recognize one another and so it also gives us a really great sense of community too. And then I would also say another piece would be just really being able to observe that personal relationship with God and knowing that as a Muslim woman when I'm covered, as funny as it is, sometimes people will look differently at me. And they'll say things like terrorist. At the same time, I get a lot of respect because I do cover. I'm not walking off around, you
1: know, wearing inappropriate clothing. I'm walking around wearing modest clothing. That's interesting. I mean, I guess I want to ask, Well, first of all, when you said this stuff about community, I talk a lot about how a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose is so important for us as human beings. And so it was really interesting for me to hear that you feel the sense of community when it's a visual representation of identity. And so you can easily identify with other community members in your faith, at the very least, right? Absolutely. How does it make you feel when people make assumptions, right? And beyond the assumptions, I guess not even so much assumptions. How does it feel when people call you stuff like terrorist or go home or do whatever? You know, at first it
2: really bothered me. I'm going to be honest, Sarah, like I was so hurt by it, but I think part of the reason was I didn't feel a hundred percent comfortable in my own skin as a brand new Muslim like I was still learning the tenets of my faith I was still learning what hijab meant to me personally and I struggled with that for a little while and I've talked to a lot of new Muslims and they go through the same sense of like oh where do I fit in like I converted so I'm not you know part of the Arab culture or part of the you know Iranian culture or you know so it's different and being a white woman, It's hard. I mean, even still, I will. I met a Muslim man the other day and he automatically thought I was Persian or Iranian. And I was like, oh, no, I'm actually not. You know, so that was interesting. But I think now I just try and let it roll off me because I think, you know, people that make comments like that, it's because they don't know. And maybe their, you know, their lack of knowledge can come from being scared of something that's different, something that they don't understand. And the more and more I learn, to check my own biases, I realized that like, yeah, I've been scared of things that I haven't known in the past too. And so actually being confronted with different, you know, different slurs and, you know, comments and stuff has really helped me be more thoughtful of other cultures, other religions, and other groups of people as well.
1: What is something, you know, I know as, and for a Muslim woman, you don't shake a man's hand, correct? So is there anything else that somebody who is interacting with a Muslim for the first time should know to do, to not do, that is helpful as opposed to hurtful, like so blatantly hurtful, like what you get sometimes?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the really simple things are that Muslim women will only shake hands or touch other women and Muslim men will only shake hands or touch other men. I think sometimes Muslims are worried about hurting someone's feelings or offending someone. And so they'll just shake someone's hand. And I mean, I used to do that. I would totally bite my tongue and I would shake a man's hand, you know, years ago, because I was worried that I would offend them. And I actually had someone say that to me one time that I offended them And when I explained myself and he was like, Oh, okay, okay. That makes sense. So I think that that's one thing. Another thing could be too. A lot of times With the opposite gender Muslims will not maintain eye contact as a sign of respect So if I'm talking to a Muslim man I'm not gonna necessarily look him in the eyes and vice versa as a way to show respect But it can also go into non-Muslim conversation too. like I'm looking at you, you know But you're a woman but I'm gonna probably you know avert my gaze some with a gentleman just you know as a sign of respect and as a sign of Modesty, so I think those are two key things Yeah. I feel like at first glance, those would be the things. And also what I tell people all the time is if you want to know what someone is wearing, just ask them. A Muslim is not going to be offended if you go up to them and say, hey, can you please explain what you have on your head? Because I really do want to know.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much for being open to this kind of conversation. Yes. Anytime. Super helpful. Okay. So, dear listener, if I was to paint a picture of a six foot seven black male, what would you have in your mind? What are the thoughts you have about this person? I'm here to talk with Brandon Towns, and I'm really curious. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with me, Brandon. What is the most common misunderstanding people have about you when they meet you?
3: Well, thanks for having me, Sarah. I would say the most common misconception I have and this isn't, I had to ask somebody about this because I didn't want to make assumptions of what people think about me, even though I think I know most of the time. So I asked a coworker that I'm pretty good friends with now what she thought about me before we became friends. And she said that she assumed that I was mean, quiet, I guess even sort of angry. And that I just kind of, she said that I kind of stuck to myself, which that part I guess I could kind of understand because I do keep my work life and my personal life somewhat separate. And so I'm not friends with everybody at work, but I'm definitely not unfriendly to people at work, if that makes sense.
1: And yet um, they assume that you were mean.
3: Right. And I, I don't know if it's the way my face looks, but I...
1: <laughs> you have a perfectly nice face. I have no idea why they would think that.
3: <laughs> well, a lot of the times I'm squinting. I have terrible eyes. And so I think <laughs> that probably has a lot to do with it. But yeah, most of the time I'm just in my own mind and I'm not really even paying attention to what's going on around me. So I will say that I have been marked down on a work evaluation for because um my boss at the time said that people on the team felt that I was unapproachable. I was very offended by this because one, none of them had ever tried to talk to me. And two, I mean, we were just on teams for organizational reasons. We weren't we don't work hand in hand. We don't collaborate on the job or anything like that. But uh, she did say that I didn't get as high of a score because of that. I was angry. I didn't fight it at the time because this was, 2010, I work in uh, unemployment insurance. So this is 2010 in the middle of the recession and the state wasn't paying any bonuses anyway for proper valuations, but it definitely is something that I have remembered through my time working there.
1: How do you process Uh, something like that? Like when you're told you're unapproachable, you know, I think, and this may be my assumptions, you know, sometimes people say, oh, but if you think it's race, you're just playing the race card. Like, what was your take on it, right? Was it because of how you look, do you think? Or was there something in your personality, do you now that you're looking back at that time?
3: I think it has to do with both. I think it has to do with my race and my size. I work with other tall people who are not Black, and I can guarantee that they've never been marked down for being unapproachable. Like I said, I do realize that I can be quiet at times, but if somebody comes and talks to me, I'm going to talk to them. I'm very friendly. Right. I don't walk around with a silly smile on my face all the time, but I don't think anybody does.
1: No, I totally agree with that. And it's interesting that people, I think if there's the hesitation and people don't even bother saying hi or reaching out in the first place, there's no way they would know other than our resting faces, right? For yeah. women or men alike, you know, why would you necessarily walk around with a smile on your face? We're no longer infants who do that sort of thing. <laughs> and, and like <laughs> smile at everyone They're like, hi. The other thing we had talked about a long time ago is that people sort of made assumptions about athleticism. Have you ever had people ask you about that?
3: Every single day. <laughs> really? Do you play basketball? Who do you play for? Why don't you still play? I'm 39 years old and I have a bad back is the reason I don't play anymore. But every day they assume I play basketball, which I mean, I did play in high school, but I haven't played since high school either. In organized ball, at least.
1: And that's what, like, um, what kind of people are asking you that question?
3: Everybody. It's, that one goes across the board.
1: And do you have any idea, you know, you said you work with other tall guys who are not people of color. Do you know if they've been asked the same kind of questions or the assumptions made?
3: I know for one of the people I work with, he has not as on a regular basis as me. The other one's not positive on. I'm not super close with them. It's not an uncommon thing, though, for tall people. I know that to be asked that, but it's just uh, a day doesn't go by. So, I mean, that one doesn't actually really offend me because I'm so used to answering that question.
1: Are there any things that you have found, you know, that people misunderstand about you that are more offensive or hurtful in any way? I mean, you mentioned this stuff about being unapproachable, for sure.
3: Yeah, so this happens at work a lot, too. I've been told, well, you're very articulate, which I've always taken as a backhanded compliment, because I think that says more about the person saying it than the person who you saying it to, because I don't walk up to people and assume that they're not articulate. I don't know why you would comment when you find out somebody is somewhat articulate. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, for sure. In fact, my... I know several people who've been said like, oh, you speak really well, and it's because they're a black man. Is, I mean, there just doesn't uh, seem to be an explanation other than, than that. Why would you be assuming that? It was interesting because, you know, being half Japanese, when my husband was, when we were first dating, he was talking to somebody, oh, well, she's part Japanese. And he, the person they were talking to was like, oh, does she speak English well? He's like, well, she was born and raised in the United States. They're like, so she speaks English pretty well then? And he's like, what? Like when people have that in their viewpoint that, for example, even if you're half Asian, but you're raised in New York, like can't get it through you know, their heads that you could speak a certain way or they assume that black people speak a certain way and you don't, it's shocking. And I don't right. know. It throws I don't...
3: them off a little
1: bit. Right. Yeah, that would be offensive.
3: I actually had a lady. So I just moved to a different team at work. I got off the phone with an employer at work, and the lady who sits on the other side of uh, the wall, we share a wall between our cubicles, she actually came around to my cubicle to make sure, and she said that she was just shocked that I sounded so soft on the phone and so articulate and was able to help the employer that fast. She, like, she couldn't believe it was me, That so she actually had to come around to physically see me, because she had just heard me from the other side of the wall. I'm still so, just- she was an older woman, so I didn't correct her, but it was definitely a little shocking.
1: Was she an older white woman?
3: No, she's an older Hispanic woman.
1: Okay. I'm just curious sort of where the I mean, judgments and bias come from all different places. I was just curious. That's surprising. Has she worked there for a while? Like she knows you and she still said this or?
3: She's worked there for a while, but we've never worked together. We've been on different floors for years and years. So we don't know each other. We just, When I moved to this new team, I just happened to sit by her. We share a wall between our cubicles.
1: How are you supposed to respond to that? I'm still just like... At a loss for words, which is not something that happens to me that often.
3: <laughs> I feel like if it was a younger person, I probably would have at least had a discussion with them. But I wasn't going to argue with an older woman, you know. I don't know exactly how that would have went. Plus, you're at work, so you a lot sort of, of things of, could happen.
1: Do you just grin it and bear it and go, thanks? Or sort of...
3: Yeah, I smile, said thanks, and just put my headphones back in and went, went about my business. But you definitely but, yeah, remember guess... that. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it was definitely shocking that's probably the most shocking thing that's happened to me at work. Like somebody actually comes around cause they couldn't believe their ears.
1: My goodness. <laughs> what other things I'm like, I'm still reeling like, wow, people really say this sort of stuff. I continue to be surprised. And I guess, you know, when you're looking outside of your normal, not normal, but like your zone and you're dealing with something unfamiliar, like for her, maybe she's not been around a black man that much. I don't even know like what would prompt like, that's still just surprising that there's ways to say stuff that is overt hate. I don't know if you've ever had like overtly hurtful comments versus this falls into like the microaggression category, it seems like, right? Where she doesn't even realize she's saying something that is actually inappropriate and hurtful and it reveals right. so much about her. Have you ever had the other side of stuff where it's like explicit?
3: Oh, yeah. I definitely had explicit racism, to be honest. Not that I prefer any sort of racism, but if I had to deal with one or the other, I would prefer the explicit just because all cards are on the table. I know what you think. You know what I think. We don't have to deal with each other. When it's the microaggressions like that, that's when it kind of gets annoying because I feel like you want to say something, but you don't have the heart to say what you really think. So you're just going to just make snide comments like that. Mm -hmm. That's the worst kind of racism to me is like when uh, people are being blatantly inappropriate, but trying to act like they're not. Right. I can much you're dealing with somebody who just comes out and says it.
1: And I don't know, do you feel like that reveals, I mean, it definitely reveals the institution of racism and like being worldview into it. Do you feel as the receiving side of it, I guess two questions I had was how do you vent out that frustration when you are on the receiving end of it? Or do you just swallow it? And it like, cause it's stressful. I would imagine it is stressful to deal with that stuff. You know, I've had some minor issues in Japan myself, but How do you deal with it, I guess, is one question. And what is your viewpoint when you said, like, when somebody is outwardly racist to you, it's easier because then you don't have to handle them. Right. And then like, it's just it's very clear. Is there a good person, bad person judgment then? Or is it just, okay? this is that type of person and therefore I can keep myself safer by staying away from them?
3: Well, with the explicit racism, I just don't even mess with those people. I just stay away, keep my distance, Um, don't worry about them. They can exist in the world in a different spot than me. That's fine. We don't have to deal with each other on any level. When it comes to the microaggressions and stuff like that, I try to take into account who I'm speaking to. Everything comes into play. Age, gender, I guess where they grew up if I know that. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt when it comes to a lot of this stuff because of some of those factors. Not saying it's right, but, you know, I feel like we all know old people in the world who grew up differently than we did. And therefore they say things and believe things that are different than us, which now may be seen as inappropriate. So all those things come into play. It happens so much that it doesn't really affect me emotionally that much anymore. I just kind of let it roll off my back as soon as I'm you know, i away from that person, my mind goes someplace else.
1: That's cool that you can do that. It sucks that you have to.
3: And that's something that has developed just probably since I've had kids, though. I just have so much more on my plate than, you know, to deal with ignorance all day long.
1: Right. That's interesting that that can change people's perspectives and your focus goes elsewhere. Right. All right. Thank you for sharing all this.
3: Yeah, yeah, no problem at all.
1: Anything else that I haven't asked that you want to talk about in this particular realm?
3: I guess one question that I had jotted down for you is, do you think people actually make attempts to get to know people before they make assumptions about people? Is that getting worse or, or better in your mind? I probably have stereotypes for people too, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm not perfect by any means, but what I do, I try to focus on maybe going up and having a conversation, you know, before I make further assumptions about somebody. So I just in your know, like, you have a lot more conversations with a lot more people. I was just wondering if you think that's getting better or worse.
1: I think it's hard to say. It depends on what segment of the population You're talking to, right? I think there is something to be said about the ugly underbelly of this country being ripped right open and being given permission to live in a different kind of hate. And I think at the same time, the disconnection that people are feeling based on all the digital media that we have access to and the lack of depth of community that we had maybe a generation ago is tearing sort of the societal fabric apart. I think if people have time, or build in time into their life to reach out and understand and and learn more about other people, they do. And that's a certain type of person who is aware of it and wants to do that. And I think the more people are rushed and the more people are just busy, and it's harder to be kinder to one another when we are living that kind of life. And I think then assumptions fly all over the place because it's an easy way for humans to make sense of the world, right? And so until they're proven otherwise or corrected or stopped, I think it's just easy to make certain assumptions because then we can just go about our day and being busy and do, do, do. So, you know, I'd like to think that it's kind of the pendulum is swung and I'm hoping that it's coming back this way, but I may be living in my own bubble. I think the reality is we all have our own assumptions and biases. I think that's crazy, you know, to say that none of us have prejudice or, you know, judgment of other people. I think that's how we are as human beings. It's how we keep ourselves safe, right? In the biological world of like, that's how we're wired. I think even just starting to challenge ourselves to take a moment and learn about somebody else or think, oh, maybe this isn't the absolute truth for everybody else. I think the more and more we stop and have those conversations, the more hope I have that we can at least address it. The more you're aware of it, the better you do, right?
3: Absolutely. So Uh, Yeah, when you know better, you do better.
1: Right, exactly. And I think that's what we're trying to do, move the needle a little bit more Every conversation we get to have, I mean, it's kind of fun to have the opportunity to do this podcast, to continue to do that work on myself and for all the listeners and anybody who's interested in having these conversations. So I hope, you know, with people like you coming on and being willing to share stuff like this, people learn a different perspective when you hear it. And I'm appreciative Absolutely. of every time people are willing to share their story, because that's another way of looking and at the world and living through the world. So...
3: Thank you for keeping me involved in this conversation. Oh my I gosh. actually love having these talks.
1: Thank you so much. I'm really, really appreciative of it. Thanks for your
4: time. Super excited to be talking to you, Gulnaz, today. Um, not only because you're my amazing sister-in-law, but also because I can't wait to hear a little bit more about your thoughts when I ask you the next question that I'm going to ask you. <sighs> Okay, I know this is exactly what you signed up for, so great. Um, Okay, so here's the question that I'm going to ask. What do you think that people assume about you when they first meet you?
5: That's kind of a loaded question. It depends what they notice and kind of what setting I'm in. Are you asking more of a cultural reference or...? Yeah. So,
4: as background, you came to this country when you were 9, right? Yes, from Iran. So, and I,
5: I know that you didn't know the
4: alphabet. <laughs> so, I know that you grew you first were in Michigan. So, maybe if you could talk a little bit about that um, and what people assumed about you in Michigan when you were first there.
5: Yeah, so I came to uh, Michigan when I was in fifth grade without knowing the alphabet. And Michigan actually is pretty conservative despite it voting blue a couple elections in a row. But it tends to be more of a Republican state, at least in the areas that we lived. And I found that there is quite a bit of racism that's projected. It's just because of lack of exposure, I think, from people to people from Middle East or from my background or I think people just don't know so what they are exposed to in general is what I found What people's perception of what they want you to be comes from so at one point I was living on a very waspy island which is where I grew up for middle school and high school and I was probably there for a couple of years after during college and I was asked some strange things. At one point, one of my close friends who was not racist asked me if I was Islam. Like me, <laughs> myself and I. If, you was were a religion. <laughs> if I was Islam. And people have like a, and there, you know, I think people don't want to be mean. There are some people that are just, I think, that project racism that they probably were exposed to themselves growing up. Cause I don't think people are born racist is the, what you're taught. My brother, who's three years older than me, had a lot worse than I did. But I did find that in that island, people just didn't have any exposure to foreigners, to Middle Easterners, and what they saw on TV or what their parents told them. So they just assume that you're an incredibly strange person with a strange family. And it doesn't help that your parents have a curfew for you, whereas theirs don't, or their parents drink and yours don't. And so I, it, there was a lot of bias towards me as the strange cat on that island.
4: <laughs> and were there other minorities there or was it really just your
5: family? It was minimal at best. There was a – during the time, like, my graduating class, I believe I was the only minority. Within the four years, so, like, freshman to senior when I was a senior – I believe there was one African-American family that was mixed. I'm, I'm not even sure if that's true. And then there was a Korean guy that was in the class below me. And that's it. I often say I was the darkest person that was <laughs> in <to> high school. <laughs> and, and you know I'm not very dark. <laughs> that must have been um, quite an experience. I mean, it's strange because you grow up in that environment. So, as a kid, like, especially with my personality at the time, it was very adaptable to my environment. So in my head, I was blonde hair and blue eyed and my name was Jennifer. So it was very confusing <laughs> to me. When, like this guy, Mike, would always like say horrible things to me. Like I learned racial slurs towards Middle easterners from those people. I didn't know what they meant. I actually had to go ask the vice principal what it meant. Oh, Um, To be called a camel jockey. I had no idea. Oh, my gosh. And did your parents ever talk about any of that at home? You know, no, because they don't know, right? Like, when you're a foreigner, first of all, you're struggling. So my parents left a pretty good life in Iran and sold everything to come to the States. And my mom used to be a stay-at-home mom and, like, spent, you know, all this time with us. But when we came here, just for financial reasons, she had to work a lot. And so not only were they not as visibly part of our lives, they also just didn't know. Like, simple things you just don't learn from foreign parents, like, because they don't know those terminologies. And then you just tend to share less because you're embarrassed and you don't want to be different. And bring it up to your parents that are foreigners. It's not going to help you. They're just going to tell you to not be friends with those people. And all you want to do as a teenager is fit in. So, no. (laughs) I just tried harder
4: to blend in. Right. I remember the days where my dad would try and translate Japanese proverbs into English to be funny. (laughs) Um, And it was so awkward (laughs) that I would just want the floor to open and swallow me when he was trying to make small talk. So I totally understand that feeling. Okay.
1: So we heard from Brittany, Brandon, and Golnaz. What was something that that stood out for you from their stories?
0: Oh, gosh, that's such a good question. I mean, I'll start with Golnaz because, you know, she's married to my brother. And I had never heard her talk about... Her experiences coming to this country and how difficult that was to not speak English and have to ask the assistant principal what a camel jockey was, what someone was using as a racial slur she didn't even understand and to be that alone it sort of breaks your heart as a nine-year-old, 10-year-old. You know, we've been that girl. I mean, you're just trying to fit in so hard. And when she said in her head she was like blonde and she had blue eyes and her name was Jennifer, I was (laughs) totally that person too. Like in my head, I looked exactly the same as everyone else. And, you know, I thought, gosh, that was
1: so powerful. Yeah, it's interesting when you said that. You know, we've talked about the importance of – seeing yourself in your surroundings and how different it feels living in sort of more heavily white populated areas versus when we've lived in New York City or lived in Tokyo or lived in other places that have a lot of different colors, shapes, sounds, smells, like all the things. And you can see so much variety versus when you're really just seeing this one type of face being reflected back at you.
0: Oh, completely. What was your biggest takeaway, Sarah?
1: I mean, I was definitely struck by the camel jockey comment for sure. Like you said, I was like, they said, what? (laughs) And the idea of not knowing what's when you don't know what people are saying, but you get the sense through their tonality that, you know, it's not a good thing, but you don't know what it actually means. And you have to go find out is kind of heartbreaking. But I think beyond that sort of explicit comment and some of the explicit stuff where people have had a hard time, you know, like where Miss Schultz was like, you know, go home you don't go back to where you belong. I said, mm-hmm. Miss Schultz because she's my kid's teacher. But Brittany, <laughs> I know
0: that's your default. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> but when Brandon said what he did about how it's the micro, it's the things that people don't even, he was like, it's almost easier when people say those hurtful things. Cause you can be like, yes, cool. I see you're who you are. And so I'm going to put you in this bucket and we don't have to cross paths that much anymore versus like, that was almost easier than dealing with people who say stuff, without even realizing it, or being open to, you know, and not having the opportunity to sort of say, dude, that hurt my feelings. Like, that's not okay. Or that's a racist comment, not even racist comment, like, that's really judgmental. You know, not that those hurt more. And it made me think, because I know I have, I mean, as a human, of course, we've all made assumptions about people or said stuff that probably was hurtful without realizing it. And it made me kind of go, I gotta, I have to continue to check what comes out of my mouth in all circumstances and be open to feedback when people say something, because I'm going to get it wrong. But if that's what hurts even more, or that's what's harder to deal with for other people, I got to do my part.
0: Yeah, I think what struck me, especially when Brandon was talking, when he had gotten that review at work, or that impression at work that he was angry, or that, you know, and that struck me as Something that would be like a bias that I would have or think about people, or you know, just from an impression. And wow, I really have to check myself in those scenarios too, because you think that, and to hear his side of how impactful that was for him, because it might have been a throwaway comment for someone else, or you know, something that they felt based on their own biases, but how to hear him say, you know, he's a good worker, and then to have this and for him to have to think about, you know, why do people say that? That really struck me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I thought it was really interesting. I'm really, really grateful for all three of them for opening up, right? And being willing to talk to us about some of these conversations that probably could be difficult to actually have. And things yeah. to share. So I'm really grateful to all three of them. If you all are listening, thank you for sharing thank that you time so with us.
3: Much.
1: <laughs> and we'll talk more. Let's keep that conversation going. Yeah, definitely.